B2B Jam Session. Man, I'm super excited for today's episode. But more importantly, I'm super excited about the guests I have on. But before I bring them on to the show, I want to show love to everyone living in Oakland. If you are in Oakland right now in this lovely morning, make sure that you're taking care of yourself, that you're doing what you love. Let me know what you read in the morning Oakland newspaper. But also make sure that you are staying safe and healthy this lovely Thursday afternoon. In addition to that, if you're tuning in worldwide, because we usually have a worldwide audience, let us know where you're tuning in from in the comments. If it's UK, if it's Nigeria, 
please let us know. Show us some love in the comments, and we'll definitely engage with you as we have our conversation. Today, I'm talking to two really amazing people that I actually had the fortunate opportunity to speak with just the other day on their amazing podcast, Queued Up. And these two people are, in my opinion, some of the leading thought leaders as well as activists really building a movement around what the future of work and really education fundamentally looks like. Today, I'm talking with Aziz and Pam, who are the co-founders of Queued Up and the podcast hope podcast host of the queued up movement. I call it a movement. It's not just a podcast, it's a movement. A lot of people are down with it, including me. And Pam's, let me let me actually start with Pam. Pam's mission is actually around parenting and education. And she's been doing the work that she does for quite some time. You know, her mission is to help students and their families actually navigate the tumultuous school years and emerging adulthood with a focus on personal and financial well-being. In addition to that, my boy Aziz, Man, this guy is hilarious. He was actually the director of student welfare and career development for the University of Maryland Athletic Department. And in addition to that, man, this guy has a lot of things going on, including working on different skills based programming um, for his local community. And he's really, really community centric. And you'll get that as soon as you meet him. And today we're really just going to dive deep on their definition and their vision of what the future of work and education fundamentally looks like. You know, when I actually was on their podcast, really talked about what are the new education models forming today and they have a lot of insights to share on how parents can involve their students in their education and make it more self-directed but also fundamentally how do you think about creating an ecosystem around the students that includes the public and the private sector with that said i want to bring on my phenomenal guest pam and aziz pam aziz what's up hey hey happy to be here (laughs) how are you three doing Good. The music is awesome. I was jamming in the background. (laughs) Man, thank you so much. I try. I try. I try to play the best music. I'm an old soul, you know? (laughs) Love it. Love it. I'm like, I need to add this to my playlist for my yoga classes. (laughs) (laughs) I got you, man. Let me know. Let me know. But Pam, you know, Aziz, I would love for you to share a little bit more about the queued up movement. How long you all have been building it? You all are like, what, episode 20 now? Yep. About it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what inspired it? What inspired the start of the queued up movement? Ladies first. Okay. Well, I will say it actually started with Ziz. So I I write a blog about education and what's happening and what I see happening as a parent from parent perspective and also from a businesswoman's perspective because I'm an investor and a a businesswoman. And so uh, Aziz was following it and he calls me up at the start of the pandemic and he goes, Pam, we got to be talking about what's going on right now. Uh, let's do a podcast. Mm. And this is this is the ability of what we all have today that by that following Monday, we had a website built because we have an amazing, what we call her the engine, you know, yeah. Kara Cragen, who does our websites, everything. Mm. And within two weeks, we just started deciding that we would just have conversations mm. about the things we were seeing and try to... Um, you know, expose parents to some of the things that might be happening. Um, Aziz, want to take it from there? Yeah, I, it's it's interesting because depending on what state you were in, you yeah. know, the pandemic hit people in different ways, and and it really put a spotlight on the inequities within the system, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of work in the state of Maryland, and they, depending on which county, some were up to speed because they had the one-to-one devices. So students already had a device. And then there were some students who not only did they not have the device, 
They mm. didn't have access to the internet. So it took a little while for the virtual aspect of the education to get up and running. And uh, in the meantime, you know, I was reaching out to students through Instagram and yeah. I was just talking to them, you know, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, the platform's already built. Just do a live yeah. there and, and just yeah. meet them where they are. You know, that's that's where they are. Um, I'm not a Snapchat guy, but, you yeah. know, I just I did it through Instagram and you know, I was talking to a lot of seniors and, and just talking with them mm-hmm. through this process, because the early stages of it, no one still knew what was going on, just like now. <laughs> we're, getting a, we're getting a little better at it. But but to be honest with you, you know, a lot of students were just that uncertainty it was like, whoa, what's what's going on? We don't have a sports season. You know, we don't have a dance season. We don't have whatever it was. And they were at a loss. So I just try to provide a format in which they could have a conversation outside of their parents. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I kind of carried on with our one word discussion. I would ask them, you know, my one word for the year is build. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. what I started with. So, you know, build throughout the year, build partnerships. So Pam and I connecting and me connecting with you, Tim, doing yeah. the same thing. So, you know, I just extended what it is that I was doing to them mm-hmm. and and then also telling them, hey, you know what? I'm a little, not really afraid, but I'm also uh, uncertain as to like what's actually happening. So take control of the things that you have control over, which is yourself and the choices and move forward. Man, I love that, Pam. I would love for you to share a little bit about kind of for you, because you've been really passionate about bringing meaning to education for quite some time. And you do a lot of work with the Victor Frankel Institute actually around that, not only for adults, but also for students. You know, Pam, share a little bit with us, you know, what do you think the future of education looks like for students? Oh, well, let me back up and tell you about my meaning, um, my meaning centered mission here that applies to human beings, not just students, uh, all of us. But basically, and I'm a co, you know, just as as you'll see, I'm co-founder of the Victor Frankel Institute of America. I'm co-host of this. I'm co-producer of of, uh, some film series. So I am the same. The future is about the co, right? It's about the co. It's about joining with people for um, different things that you believe in that are meaningful to you. So basically, I was writing this blog got introduced to Viktor Frankl's grandson, Alex Mm -hmm. Besley, who is um, a logotherapist, which is uh, healing through meaning, which was the approach that Viktor Frankl used for both um, his life philosophy and more importantly, his psychotherapy. So I get involved with this and suddenly I'm reading Viktor Frankl, who is just saying education has to be about the human being. We cannot create mechanistic systems that produce a certain kind of smartness that devalue that individual human being, right? So when you come to look at what's going on in our institutionalization, basically, of our education system um, and how it was set up for compliance, conformity, to Mm. produce the, you know, in the image of the factory, suddenly we're seeing this huge mental illness Uh, distress, depression, addiction, aggression. And we're like, what's going on? Well, guess what? We have devalued our humanness, which is very, very unique. And Todd Rose at um, Harvard uh, with his populist organization and his end of average book, there's no average. 
And yet our entire system is predicated on some average number we're all you know, trying to go against. So now what's so exciting with education is it's all blowing up because guess what? Future of work is not a corporation where you're climbing a ladder where you need that pedigree. Future yeah. of work is networking. 85% of the jobs come from networking according to LinkedIn. And how do our kids get agile, adaptable, creative, use all their soft human skills because all of those skills are learning in school in terms of filling in the bubble and knowledge can be done by a computer. Okay. And so, yes, yeah, so the distress that's been caused by us treating humans as a computer and ignoring their complexity and their deeply personal search for what matters to them. And Viktor Frankl says, when he defines meaning, and this cracked me up because I did not understand this at the beginning, he's like, meaning is what was is meant. And I'm like, yeah. that's easy. <laughs> what do you mean? Okay, so basically, meaning it what was meant for that individual person in the circumstances that they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. And so, if we look at this and we say, okay, really, the future of not only work but education is about the human being and not trying to indoctrinate them with perspectives or ideas or concepts, but to teach them to be a, an individually thinking, critical thinking person that contributes their gifts, whatever they may be to the world. And so rather than focusing on the student and whether or not they're measuring up to some quantitative average, which yeah. is absolutely impossible, how about we create an environment, an ecosystem Mm. that nurtures that individual a lot what you're trying to do on, with guide yeah. you know which is really yeah. all of us need to mentor up not as a charity to help these kids necessarily but for us to learn too because this is the future of our world our world is this co we're yeah. all the co's it's an ecosystem it's, it's an ecosystem thoughts, yeah what, what are your thoughts on that Aziz you know because you you've actually I remember you shared with me the last time we talked about kind of your personal kind of affinity to what you believe learning should be and some of your personal experiences to, to it when did you realize learning should be something that was meaningful what moment was that for you ah that's a great question I think uh you know I have three children so they're 30 28 and 24 and you know my, my, my first two were labeled gifted and talented, whatever that means. Um, and then my youngest son, who actually graduated from Ivy League school, he was never categorized as that. And what I did notice, and I was fortunate enough to have, you know, the mother of my children said, basically, we agreed that we are going to approach them individualistic. So we just looked at them as individuals, and that's how we raised them. And they just, they flourished and we helped them figure out like what their skills were. Mm -hmm. So when you work in a school system and you're around students, you look at some students, some are more musical, some are more artistic, some mm -hmm. are more athletic, whatever it is that are, is their interest. And if you guide them toward that, they get super excited about it. Consequently, when they're excited about doing something, you mm -hmm. don't have to encourage them. They automatically do it. And they want to get better at it, which is the key. They work toward mastery instead of this grading system that we have, which I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. So I'll give you I'll give you one great example. So I'm mentoring a group of students, and a young man comes to me and he says, "Hey, Ziz, can you go talk to my English teacher?" I'm like, "Sure." So he was a senior. 
you know, I go talk to his English teacher. I look at this paper that he wrote. She mm. shares it with me. And I said, what grade are you going to give him? She's like, I'm ah, probably going to give him like a 62. I'm like wow. a 62. I'm like, this is garbage. This is like a pain. <laughs> and, and you know what? So because I had a really good relationship with him and I said that to him, I said, hey, look, man, man, this is not good. And, and I'm having this conversation with you because you have the capability. If this, you didn't have the capability, then we're having a different conversation. Mm. You have the capability. So are you putting in the effort? And only he can answer that question. I already, I had a suspicion. He answers the question. And to be honest with you, I didn't have to really say much more. I put him on the spot. I let him know what's going on. I let him know that I believe that he can do better. Mm. The next thing you know, he did. So I think what we have to do as mentors or, or business people or parents is not necessarily set the expectation, but really communicate with our students mm. and talk to them and ask them what it is that they want to achieve mm. and then go from there. Yeah, now that's so powerful. And, you know, I know both of you are, are super advocates about getting parents involved in their students' education, not just leaving it by the wayside or leaving it up to them, literally getting involved and pushing them and empowering them. Pam, would love to share a little bit about how you do this as a parent, because <laughs> you were telling us a little bit about your daughter and how she's actually taking control of, of her career and taking this time to actually craft and do a lot of uh, new things. So I would love for you to share that with us. Yeah, well, first of all, you know, my advice to parents is get a life. The only thing we can do is model what we want uh, them to do, but they're still their own independent person. And the other thing is be the learner of your children and figure out how you can help them flourish, right? So there's a, a quote by Alexander Dehyser I love, which is when a flower's not blooming, you focus on the environment, not the flower. But in our education system and culture, we focus on the flower and what's wrong with that flower. And we instead need to be creating the environments for all types of flowers to flourish because our society needs all types of flowers. The whole you know, ecosystem needs that. So basically with my own daughters, <laughs> they're my teachers. I will tell you that it's a humbling thing. And actually Ziz and I have a, um, a podcast episode where we talked about that moment when we got the hand in the face saying, thanks mom, you know, thanks mom or thanks dad, I got this, leave me alone. And, yeah. and you're like, whoa, whoa. And both of us did stop dead in our tracks and say, what if he, that's right. And, and quite frankly, as parents trying to mold our children in a 20th century model, mm. we have actually hindered their ability to adapt to a 21st century living and working because we changed in a heartbeat, as you know. Yeah. And so we don't know. We have not done a great job of um, teaching them personal responsibility. If we need our kids to go forward in the future, they needed that agility and that agility means that struggle. So I say they need to learn to read and mm -hmm. read is four things. One, responsibility. And when you have responsibility, you have freedom of choice to decide to make the wrong choices, to struggle, to learn to have patience and just pivot when something else has your interest, you know, saying that's not what I want. Uh, it's E, exploring, and here's where the community comes in and businesses come in. We need to create the opportunities for them to explore who they are and how they fit in the world. Mm. And the world has changed faster than any school in this super tanker of an institution. It can't turn. 
it can't turn fast enough, right? It's leaking water, can't turn fast enough, gotta get the lifeboats out, here we go, right? A is adaptability, is this whole thing, embrace uncertainty. COVID hit, my daughter, one of my daughters was like, mom, you know, gosh, I'm so bummed I didn't get this experience and that experience. I'm like, yeah, and so then pause, acknowledge, and then I'm like, now what? Now what? Now what? Now what? Okay, yeah. now what? Okay, so, and then the last is discovery of meaning. Unique, specific, can't be imposed, can't be created. It is as individual as their human spirit, and we have to honor that. So you take those four things, and with my children, COVID hit, and I have, um, you know, we drank the college Kool-Aid. I mean, yeah. we <laughs> saved the five you know, right? <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, right. It's all I have to do is get them to college and everything's going to be fine and they're going to be happy, right? And so anyway, so my daughters, um, by the time I'm figuring this out, my older one was in college, which she needs a speech pathology major, but my other two were kind of figuring out what they're doing. And I'm like, wait, 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 don't go. As all their friends, I mean, you know, they were in the school, everybody's going. I'm like, yeah, they're like, yeah, mom, don't talk to about that to anybody, okay? And I said, okay, so then COVID hit. And I said, look, we're not paying online. So now here's this opportunity. In the future, you are going to have to know how to get a job, but the average job is just a little more than two and a half years for their age group. So, cause businesses are changing so fast. Yeah. They're going to have to learn how to create a job. You know, what do you want to do that's yours, just like you're doing with guide. Yeah. Uh, and then the third thing is to try and own an asset mm. that you can, you know, a car, a surfboard, you know, a room, whatever it is that you can earn money. And throughout their lives of the 21st century, they're going to be weaving in and out of all of these, hopefully two or three to keep a steady income because mm. we don't have that, you know, anchor. So my one daughter, my, my youngest daughter, she was a freshman going into sophomore year. And she comes to me, gosh, mom, this is just so hard. I'm just so bored. I'm so whatever. And boredom is the birth. Okay. Boredom is the birth of creativity. Because when you're sick of being bored, what do you do? So you I said, Imagine. <laughs> so what do you do? You binge on Netflix, right? No. So I said, okay, if you're in a room, no Netflix, no nothing, and you got to research something and learn something, what is it? Hmm. She goes, you know I would love to learn to sew. I'm super interested in fashion, right? And I thought, okay, go, go do it. So she gets my mom's old 25 year old machine, goes on YouTube, tries to figure this out. And next thing you know, she's got four outfits. She doesn't use a pattern. I'm like, well, you need to go get a pattern. Mom, I don't wanna use a pattern. I'm like, okay. She designed things that I would, you know, the good thing is that I just get out of their way because my children are good human beings. Not one was a 4.0. Wow. They had to fight me on every AP class. I did not encourage. <laughs> I did not encourage any time on test prep, test prep, because me, for me, it was a priority of time versus what would really enhance them as a human being and help them explore the world. So lots of volunteering, getting a part-time job. You want citizens, give them a part-time job. They get their first paycheck and goes, that's not what I was supposed to make. <laughs> Welcome to citizenship. You're now a taxpayer, not, you know, and different kinds of conversations. So I've challenged each of my daughters, but I give it to them. And then you watch them struggle and you watch them do that. But I try to create the environments by saying, go out in the community and figure it out. Do It's not what the world is, is going to give you. It's what you are uniquely qualified to give to the world, right? Mm -hmm.
and that goes way back to the Stoics, Viktor Frankl, you know, uh, everybody, uh, President Kennedy, you know. I'm actually a huge advocate of Stoic philosophy, and I love that you say that, is that how are you kind of meeting the demands and the, and the needs of the world and serving and doing what you can, because that in itself is fulfilling, and we need more of a meaningful education model within, I believe, not like the entire end and um, system of um, our current education system. Aziz, I want to ask you, Matt, how important do you think, because you've done a lot of work with upskilling and training students um, for this 21st century, you know, how important is it do you think learning communities are to ensure that students actually feel a sense of connectedness in, in their growth and their, in their education? Great question. And honestly, I would say, depending on the school that they're in, yeah. I think some schools are more connected than others. I think private schools do a great job of connecting to their alumni. Mm. And that's a part of their ecosystem. I think the public schools could do a better job. I don't, let me, let me just say this. I think pu some public schools are great at connecting their alumni. Some aren't as good. Um, but I think the private schools, because of the culture of how they operate, it's a part of their, of their culture uh, overall. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't think the business community is as connected as it should be. And I think that's the missing piece. And, you know, you have some parents who are, you know, have businesses and this, that, and the other who are involved. And then you, you don't have enough of them though. Um, I think we need more mentors in schools. I think really every student should have a mentor. It's not just about the students who may not be performing academically, but every student needs a champion. I like to call it a champion. Yeah. We all need a champion. Um, you know, I, I, I said literally yesterday to some uh, summer school students I was talking to. So the first woman winner of the Fields Medal, uh, which is considered the Nobel Prize in mathematics, was Miriam Mirzakani. I may not be pronouncing that right, so please forgive me. She's no longer with us. She was a Stanford professor. She grew up in um, a war-torn country, and she was a woman. So that in and of itself was a challenge along with the war. But you know what? She had a teacher. She had one of her teachers who said, you know what? You're not so good at math, Miriam. You're, you're not good at all. And fortunately, there was another teacher that came along a couple of years later who completely championed her. And mm -hmm. obviously, she went on to become the Fields winner. So it just lets you know how important individuals along the journey of your own education, how important they are. And you know what I was going to, I wanted to share this with you because this particular quote is from John Gatto. Um, if I remember correctly, he uh, is a former teacher uh, for a number of years. And I think he won teacher of the year numerous times in the state of, of New York. Um, and he just had to get out of the system. But one of his quotes, he basically says, whatever an education is, mm. it should make you a unique individual, not a conformist. It mm. should furnish you with an original spirit with which you tackle the big challenges. It should allow you to find values, which will be your roadmap through life. It should make you spiritually rich, mm. a person who loves whatever you are doing, whatever you are, whomever you are with. It should teach you what is important, how to live and how to die. That's John Gatto. So that was in our first episode that Pam and I did uh, on Queued Up with Ziz and Pam and we sort of modeled our, our framework around that. Um, and of course, we included the read framework as well. So 
the ecosystems, we need to do a better job of building those ecosystems. And I think we can all do a better job of that. I'll give you another quick example. Just this morning, I taught my yoga class. <laughs> yeah, we were outside. We had socially distanced. And, you know, so, um, so it was a young man who was with his mom. He's probably four or five years out of college and um, graduated from an institution that's really high esteem. Yeah. And, you know, just in the quick conversation in passing, I find out he's looking for a job. And I said, oh, wow, you're looking for a job. I says, you know what? what, what what's your area? He tells me. And I'm like, OK, great. You know what? I just did a webinar two weeks ago with a CEO of a technology company. Here's what I'm going to do. Let's connect on LinkedIn. And yeah. a beautiful thing about LinkedIn, you know, you, you, I, I went to my barcode area. He went to his scanner. He just scanned yeah. it. Boom, we're like connected. And, and, you know, you build that relationship. Mm. That's how you find a job. That's how, you, that's how you can upskill as well because people, the jobs are with people. You know, we submit our resumes to people. And this is what I do to students when they hand me a resume. I just throw it onto the ground. I'm like, <laughs> no one's going to see your resume. Are you kidding me? Now, yeah. if I hand my, if I, I'm like, hey, Tim, I'm looking for a job or Pam. Yeah. And I hand my resume to you and you hand it to your friend. Your friend's going to look at it because yeah. they're your friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. those are the things that some of the communities do very, very well. And yeah. sometimes the public school communities don't have those type of advocates mm. for those students. Well, let me just add one more thing to that. We keep confusing education with the school building. Mm. And there is, it's very, very different. And as a matter of fact, we all need to be learners now, right? Which is why the new model is lifelong learning. And even out of Harvard, they have the 60-year curriculum where they're expanding on the continuing education programs in bite size for people aged 15 to 75 and beyond to be able to do stackable credentials, which is kind of where the future is moving because we've so, uh, we're changing too fast. And so, if every teacher went out in the community to learn what was happening, by the time they're back in the classroom, it's already outdated. So the analogy I use is it's like a the landline, right? So when the phones, you know, first got the phone, landlines, amazing. We built all across our country and suddenly we became global mm -hmm. and we couldn't tunnel across huge oceans. So we did not double down on the old system of landlines. We created a new cellular system that connected us all in different ways all over the, the uh, world. That is what we need to build for uh, education. But we first need to recognize that the system we have, the institution we have is not agile. It no. promotes conformity, compliance, and individual achievement. Mm. People are competing. We need to be collaborative. As a matter of fact, societies throughout the hunters and gatherers, I was just listening to a Peter Gray, um, he's a Boston College uh, child psychologist who is phenomenal, just saying, oh my gosh, you know, he doesn't speak very highly of the whole school system and neither did Viktor Frankl because it is something that tries to mold and reduce a person, human being down to a robot that can be programmed not a human being with their own needs, their own context to their lives. And we have ended up focusing on the student, medicating them, labeling them, putting on different tracks. There is no track. And again, going back to Todd Rose, there's no average. So the whole premise for it did not apply to human beings. And it's been very distressing. And then you add on top of it, this giant economic transformation 
and I see it as opportunity. Phenomenal. So now all these new school systems are coming into being that are kind of the first generation of what this new ecosystem uh, looks like, which means it's not in a school building. The, the teachers need to upskill to not be the sage on the stage because they can't know. We've changed too much. Guide on the side, learning with their students. But how about it doesn't just happen at school? It's a looser where the kids can go and go to the mall, which has you know co-working, co-learning, take different classes, coding, clubs. You know, we create the new town center. They can go to the museums. They can go to the businesses. They can do a job shadowing. They can do a an internship. And this is happening like in Iowa, Iowa big, where the business community said, whoa, we do not have the kind of skill sets we need to keep our economy going. Wow. So how about we take and create programs that allow students on an opt-in basis to say they're interested. So again, it starts with interest, second, it needs relationship, and third, it needs yeah. safety, which means not only physical safety, but emotional belonging of who you are and being worthy of being able to, to be in that kind of environment. So what they do is they go to school in the morning and they go out into the community in the afternoon. And so this is the future. The future of learning is individual but not alone it's yeah. in a collaborative sense but the honoring of that uniqueness of that individuality of that human being in a real world context in project-based collaborative learning that can happen virtually and mm -hmm. it can happen across the the land so we're in a what we have to think of ourselves as pioneers yeah. right you all are visionaries for sure <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's absolutely true and, and you know i think pam and aziza so i find so powerful about the way you all are describing and painting the picture of what this future is is that it's currently being co-created and i want to ask you both and i'll start with you aziz is you know what are you excited about to see um you know in the next two to three years given how COVID-19 has caused us to have a broader conversation around the role online learning plays in our students' life, but also micro schools, right? Encouraging self-directed learning. So what, what's exciting you? I'll start with you, Z's. You know what excites me is just the actual students starting to shift as they see what's possible, as they hear what their classmates are doing. They're like, oh, well, if so-and-so can do that, I can do that. And then they get interested in different things and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, oh, wow, my parent down the, that parent down the street can help me with this. Yeah. So I get super excited about that. So it gets outside of what their own thinking is or their own perspective. And, and to broaden the conversation, which, which, which I love, once people start to get outside of what their comfort zone is, then they start to notice, wow, that person that may not look like me that might be the opposite gender of me that may call themselves a he or a she or whatever they're calling themselves has something of value to add to me and they learn something. So to me, once you get outside of your own silo, mm. the possibility is endless. It's, it's huge. It's unbelievable. And, and it's beautiful. The example just, just yesterday, literally uh, one of the students shared an example of how he's making t-shirts. And he starts talking and, and I said to him, I said, in your presentation, why didn't you talk about you making t-shirts so you could share with everyone else? Once he started doing that, the other students were starting to chat box like, hey, how do, I, how do I find one of those? How can I buy one of those? 
So those entrepreneurial skills that they need, how to market themselves, they know how to use the technology, so to speak. They don't know how to market themselves. So mm -hmm. that's where a business man or a woman can come along or a parent can come along to help guide them. But more importantly, I think the thing parents should do a much better job of, two ears, one mouth. Listen more. <laughs> yeah, listen more, talk less, because yeah. it's really heartbreaking when a student says to me, my yeah. parents have no idea who I am. Mm. I mean, that's, that's heartbreaking. And a lot of times the parents are like, well, when I was in school, well, yeah, you were in school like 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> it's a new world. You know? Yeah, and, and it's, it's, a, right. it's a new world. So, so listen to your child. They're trying to communicate with you. Communication is a two-way street. And as Pam alluded to earlier, it's not you being the sage on the stage. It's you facilitating. So that's what I'm super excited about because I am seeing that and uh, obviously we're starting to see micro schools pop up. Yeah. Um, somebody's already franchised one. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Love it, love it, man, love it. And what about you? What about you? What are you excited about? Oh, I'm excited about the awakening. Mm. I'm excited yeah. about the awakening. I would say that, you know, I started this journey 14 years ago when I pulled my kids out of traditional education to try and find something to put them in that allowed them to have a childhood. And the only thing I cared about was no homework. Mm. Okay, I just thought their value of their time and to have time with grandma and grandpa, both sets of grandparents near uh, were nearby for their ability to play, which is the really the learning of childhood. Uh, and I became this just mama bear to try and protect my children's right to be children. And so, and swimming upstream, I always called myself the salmon upstream. So I found this, <laughs> you know, for-profit school, which it was kind of like a micro school of today, which was families with educators uh, and it had no homework and it was in an office building and they just believed so much in no multiple choice in having kids really, really learn and discuss and interact and play, play, play. And, but at the time, there's only three schools that I could find. All of them were for, I had to pay. And today there's 34 charter schools in my area. And there's a multitude of different kinds of schools, private schools. Some of them are crazy expensive, which, you know, is, is sad. Uh, but this is why this, you know, people are talking about, well, let's give the per dollar, you know, we do it for food stamps. If Walmart closes, doesn't matter. You still get your food stamps to go someplace else. Imagine what would happen to education if we put the money where the people are mm -hmm. in, instead of, um, instead of in systems that are outdated and quite frankly, in there, they were built for a different time that again, did not honor the human being. And they were built to create conformity for factory workers. And we have just keep layering it on thinking, well, we can help them and we can't, you know, you can't, it, it, we have to inspire them, not help them and, and learn and learn. So, so I'm excited. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working on a film series. Um, that's super fun. It's a documentary series that right now, you know, it's, it's, titled ten tentatively Meaning and Madness. But Viktor Frankl was saying uh, the abnormal reaction to the abnormal situation is normal behavior, right? Mm -hmm. So if we say the abnormal reaction is anxiety, depression, you know, cutting, eating disorders, all these things we're seeing and we're focusing on the student as the problem, right? Not keeping up with their average, whatever. 
what happens if it's the situation actually? What happens if it's the situation that we've placed these humans whose primary motivation for living, by the way, according to Viktor Frankl, is to discover meaning. And it's a discovery process. And it is that pursuit. Just think of you even building guide right now, how exciting that is for you. Cause you've got the goal or my daughter when she's like, fashion. Oh my God, I had no idea. And she's researching and she's down her rabbit hole. Me, I'm a geek. I, I just go down the rabbit holes of all these <laughs> different things. Of course, I found my tribe. It's so fun. And, um, but it's anyway, so that's how you learn. it is how right. we learn. So, but it's really to shine light on the situations. And so we have, um, our first one that will be, um, out probably in, in January and Sir Ken Robinson joined as a, um, executive producer. And so just, you know, we got some good stuff going, but it's just trying to raise this awareness that the system, we can't turn our kids over to a system to get a piece of paper. Uh, that is not helping them. And even if they had the piece of paper, it not doesn't necessarily mean that it gives them a fulfilling life. We want them to be happy. Happiness can never be a goal. The pursuit of happiness will actually be thwarted by that goal. Now the pursuit of meaning and things that matter to you can be the byproduct of, ha of get you happiness because you have a reason to be happy, but it is not a direct link. So this whole thing, just think positively, just do this. It does. It's really, no, let's think about what we're given to the world yeah. in what we create, what we experience, even in nature or loving relationship. And if we're stuck in a situation like cancer, we can't get out our attitude, just like Ziz was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. what? How do we approach this and take it step by step? Because that's what gives our life meaning is this is this quest. So anyway, so so I'm super excited. I'm. Uh, it's a whole new way, but meaning has to be at the core. We need to, to start with the human being and their personal discovery mm -hmm. and help each other, even as adults in this new world, but 10 years ago, we couldn't have done, done this because we didn't have this infrastructure. We didn't have the LinkedIn's. We didn't have the, um, I mean, it was baby in its infancy, but it's <laughs> level. I mean, you, you know, all of us met on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. so it's pretty exciting. Guide, creating communities, but mm. then we have to hybrid it, right? We have the, yeah. the, the, the physical landscape and we have the virtual landscape. We have two worlds we operate in. Yeah. Now the new world has a lot, you know, we can globally connect with anybody in the world right? We can create communities around our interest. Mm. How phenomenal is that? We can learn from other cultures without leaving our, our whatever. Great. On the other hand, sitting and absorbing that kind of stuff all day, eh. So <laughs> community, right? So, so people need different kinds, yeah. you know? So, that, it's so it's so powerful y'all are saying that because with the work that y'all are doing queued up, y'all are definitely highlighting leaders who are leading movements across the ecosystem. We'd love for you all to share with us, you know, who are some of the people that you'll have coming up next or is that, you know, how's the season going? Yeah, we just started actually doing, uh, and I'll let this share a little bit more, doing the guest appearance. And personally, yeah. originally we actually both read this blog by Seth Godin that yeah. said about have conversations, enough with yeah. all the, you know, yeah. whatever, have conversations. So that was our original motivation for Queued Up. And then we decided, gosh, there's a lot of stuff happening. Let's bring in guests to intermix in this. And so we've, we've just been talking about the, the different guests that we want to bring on to continue to fuel the conversation uh, that we're having with this. Is 
Yeah, Dr. I. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work. She's amazing. Yeah, she's awesome. Love what she's doing with Classroom Without Walls. Uh, you know, she has her PhD from the University of Maryland. Yay, yay. So that's, you know, so it's funny. So Pam and I, we, we get into these conversations about sports because you, you know, I think I mentioned to you that I, you know, my first job out of college was I was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, I was drafted into this league called the NFL, which stands for not for long, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's interesting too, because especially yeah. when you talk to young people, the NFL, seriously, you know, the National Football League, great league, makes a ton of money. Yeah, I mean, entertain. I mean, you're talking about sports being a huge part of the entertainment business. Yeah, you know, imagine. You know, I I love I love the Comedy Central spoof that um that uh, oh my god, I just uh, I I'm with uh, the the comedians they did yeah. on Sports Center and they called it Teacher Center. Um, you know, you were drafting teachers instead of drafting athletes, because really, when you think about it, if in the old system, I mean, teachers should definitely make more than than what they're making. You know, it's it's they're doing a, a tremendous job. Um, you know, whether we want to call it glorified babysitting. Now I'm being tongue in cheek, people tongue in cheek. Don't take me seriously there <laughs> <laughs> or or whether or not, you know, we're giving opportunities to students. But. I, you know, it's interesting when you think back, I go back to when I was in high school in the building, there mm -hmm. was a vote, not really a vote tech area, but there was an area where there were young men and women working on cars and their teachers were getting oil changes. And that's how these students were learning. And then those individuals who were working in woodshop in those various places, a lot of them go on, open up their own businesses or they become plumbers and have their own plumbing shops and they are doing very well. A lot of them are thinking retired by now. Yeah. And yeah. it's all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like, well, what happened? Not everyone is designed to go to college. Yeah. You know, Tim, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you know, both of us, we have permanent tans. Yeah. College, <laughs> you know, I, I like saying it yeah. that way, but colleges wasn't, they weren't exactly recruiting us to go to their college. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so let's, uh, let's be honest, you know, they weren't recruiting people who look like Pam either. Yeah. 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 And now all of a sudden it's like, whoa this business model came along of like everyone should go to college and then the price went way up and then you and then you start to talk to students when you're on a college campus like i've worked on a college campus and i'm like going um they have no idea what they want to do they come out of college they don't know what they want to do i literally had a conversation with a young woman yesterday i asked her a question i said do you like your job and yes came out of her mouth but her body language said no yeah and I literally ran into her the next day and I, she and I had a conversation. She's like, my mom and I were just talking. She goes, I need a life coach. And I'm like, okay, I'm volunteering. I am going to coach you. <laughs> oh, that's and it's, and yeah, and it's, and, and it's really not about, it's about her allowing the process to happen and not rush it. And you see that sometimes they want to rush through and it's like, you get here. It's like, no, it mm. re mastery requires time. Mm. Yeah. And also that introspection, you know, that Pam and I talk a lot about on our show, become who you are, not what your parents want, not what your mom or your dad or your granddad, become who you want. Um, Pam and I talked about this a lot and said, when you think about midlife crisis, I mean, now the, the midlife crisis is happening at like the age 26, 27. 
Yeah. And it's because these students aren't living a life of meaning. They aren't fulfilled. Yeah, they're leaving, living a life of external gratification. Who do I want to be on Instagram? Okay, how do I kind of fit into this culture, right? But we've right. created that for them. We've decided yeah. to tell them that you are defined by a grade and a test score, and that's your cultural validation in our community. And then we've given this burden to colleges that they're going to end up having all these um, kids that are too many going through who don't know what they want to do. Uh, who and unfortunately, and they also missed a whole market the new color market, blockchain, cybersecurity, Let everything. Them know, man. <laughs> I mean, whoa. So, you know, we just to funnel them through and then they end up with debt. So, what we've done is really just say that piece of paper is going to give you a million dollars over your lifetime, which somebody explained the math to me when you don't add the cost onto something, it's irresponsible math to look at things like an income without a cost of childhood, personal time, relationships, all the money you have to spend on tutoring and get your kid through the testing, even before you spend that 50,000 a year or whatever it is at the college. And then the colleges have adjunct professors, you know, they're scrambling too in this, this new world to accommodate what happened when everybody had to go through a system and be the same thing, only better than everybody else, as Todd Rose calls it. So um, I'm excited. I think there's models out there. Um, you know, Getting Smart with Tom Vanderark, he writes all about these models. Uh, Every, okay, I, I follow him on Twitter, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Uh, Education Reimagined, they're showing all these new models. And my favorite is Big Picture Learning, right. who started 20 years ago in underprivileged areas just to show that this work that when you are teach a student to be student directed real world exposed mm-hmm. what happens to those kids and i was just in a in a webinar uh two weeks ago watching some kids do presentations about how excited they were and how they got mentors and how they learned to get mentors and i was thinking wow yeah. You know, let's scale this, which they're doing. They're exploding in their programs and their schools. And then now you have the micro schools where you have several families getting together, 10 kids, COVID safe. You don't necessarily have to have a teacher. You can do it as a homeschool thing, which I did for my kids in preschool. Again, I didn't want to send my kids to preschool. I got together with four other moms. I'm like, let's all take a day or whatever, get the kids together, let them play, do different things. But we can use each other as we do this, it's called the co-op homeschool movement or the micro school. Micro school means you you bring a teacher in who gets paid that you're not paying the private school. So what's interesting then is it's only applicable to the middle and upper income. So you got to adjust for that. So, but there's so many exciting things and a lot of a lot of people who who are out there, you know, beating the drums about this. So it's it's really a lot of opportunity. Love that. Love that. Want to show love to our amazing, amazing amazing viewer, Danielle Banda, who wants to ask you to a question. And we can do a really quick recap out here too for this. How do you get more people excited about this new age of education and all the opportunities to revolutionize new systems? I find many people worried or unsure. What's your quick recap on this, Pam? Okay. I have a big, my first question to them, how's it working for you? (laughs) Okay. Because if you look at how it's working, Mm. cost-wise, emotional mental illness wise mm-hmm. it's not working okay so that's the first thing and the second thing is this is not creating certainty mm-hmm. the world and life 
is uncertainty. You will never escape it. We thought we would if we somehow just got a good job, right? And pay and we could, and we were of course learning through neuroscience and everything else and lack of meaning that doesn't make you a fulfilled, happy person. So the first thing you get people excited about is to look at, is this really working? Look at the people you know. How many have gone to college, taken on debt and dropped out? How many have graduated? For every 100 ninth graders, only 14 will graduate and get a job requiring that degree. And our entire system is predicated on this. So just emotionally looking at that, uh, that devaluation, but now we have the models. Before we didn't. I mean, they were there was the the people who were the the initiators out there as as we're doing, and it's exciting. So I say, look for other people who inspire you and grab on, build the community, grab on to the next. We're building this light boat not by trying to convince everybody else, but by inspiring the change because we're all talking about it. We're all working together and we're respecting how hard it is to be uh, in this environment anyway as a parent, always hard, and giving a lot of grace and a lot of empathy, but we're not gonna spend a ton of time trying to convince you know, someone who's Jewish that they need to be a Muslim. I mean, you, you just can't. You gotta respect who people are. You, you just have to start there, but you just build your tribe and do your best and be respectful because that's what we all want too, right? Man, that's so powerful. That's so powerful. It is a collective movement that's going on. Aziz, what's your quick recap? You know, I would say, you know, I'm going to use uh, someone like Gary Vaynerchuk. So yeah. Gary, you know, Mr. If you talk, when you start to talk about school, he's like, I was a serial E <laughs> student. He goes, four times a year. Year. Yeah, four times a year, my mom was going to be on my butt. But the other thing his mom did was teach him empathy. The yeah. other way he learned empathy was when he was out selling lemonade, when he was out trading cards, when he was out doing all those things that were very entrepreneurial. Yeah. But the beauty of his story is as, you know, a first as an immigrant, yeah. you know, he saw his dad's store. He built his dad's store. So he developed skills by putting in the work. He developed yeah. the habits. So you, when I think back to my athletic days, practice, you had to be on time. Yep. You had to be consistent. In order to compete, you know, your own internal drive, you know, you were there because you wanted to be supportive of the team, but then also your team, they poured back into you. We helped each other. So that was collaboration. And then, you know, one of the things I think one of the most important things that us athletes don't talk enough about, especially those who play a team sport, you start to realize you're not, even though you might be the best player, you need someone else. You look yeah. at Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan needed Scottie Pippen. He needed Horace Grant. He needed the other players. The they, yeah, they all played a role. And you understand like, wow, I need to rely upon other people. You can't do it yourself. If you want to go slow, you'll go solo. You want to go fast, build a team. So to me, I think when you find individuals who are out there, and there's many of them, have a conversation with them, ask questions. Mm -hmm. So I get excited about that. So I, I would just say, as Pam said, there are many, many people who are out there. Find the ones who inspire you. Aziz, Pam, it was a really pleasure having you all on this.
God live DB Jam session episode. And I think, you know, we're, we're super grateful of, of the movement that you all are leading with, you know, queued up. And I think what's so powerful about it is that, you know, you all are leading at the right time, right, in terms of what's going on. And I want to make sure you all will be on for a future episode, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> please, yeah. please let us know. We'd love to have you on. And then more importantly, we are going to cap you all off to this amazing, amazing, amazing song by Mary Jane. Alright, y'all. Thank y'all so much. Bye. Thank you.
is a fave of mine. I used to listen to this while I was in high school. Huge, 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 huge fan of this. OJ Cole. Yeah. Summertime fine. I let you get on top. I be the underline. Uh, trying to get beside you like the number nine. Down. You find as hell. I guess I met you for a reason. Only time can tell. But well, I'm wondering what type of shit you wanted. Do you like the finer things? Are you a simple woman? Would you drink with a nigga? Do you smoke weed? Don't be ashamed. It ain't no thing. I used to blow trees, getting lifted. I quit the shit. I might get high with you. Let us check this out. Mm. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Great. Go, there are stars in my head. You, many friends, water in my friends. True, 
girl so bad, we don't need to be dead, but I don't want to work with you or my friend. You're my man, yeah. You're my man, yeah. We say true, but we can party in your Don't be late, don't be late 
Suddenly I freed up Freezing my ties with you Then I'm only I can remember Close off my line for you I better when I be so much older Standing in line for you Standing here for I don't know how long ago Things I wrote, things I go Let you know that I want you Words we spoke, things you wrote Let me know that you want me to yeah. We carry, pressing on me heavy Pressing up against me real close Cause Moving on me, watch it. Time is moving real slow. Don't be late. Don't be late. Don't be late. Don't be late. Yeah. Don't be late. Don't be late. I have been loving this song. It's been on replay for me. It needs to be on replay for you. Love to Mrs. Tiana Taylor. Oh, you're 
Rest in peace to, you know, was just told early this morning that the phenomenal Malik B of the Roots recently passed away. So let's show love to the Roots. Rest in peace, Malik B. Yeah. 
And if I'm ever at the crossroads, it stops feeling mixed signals like North Cold. My soul starts to grow colder than the North Pole. I try to focus on the hole of where the torch goes. In the tradition of these legendary sports pros, as far as I can see, I made it to the threshold. Lord knows I'm waiting for this a lifetime. And I'm an icon when I let my light shine. Shine bright is an example of a champion. Taking the advantage, never copping out or canceling. Burn like a chariot, learn how to carry it. Always above and beyond average Fueled to the flame that I train with and travel with Something that my eyes say I'm so close to having a prize I realize I'm supposed to reach for the skies Never let somebody try to tell you otherwise check out their movement queued up it is a powerful movement that they're leading you know one we're just grateful to know pam and aziz but they have been doing work in the education space as well as the student development space for longer <laughs> than we have in terms of what we're doing in the movement that we're leading with guide but they are two individuals if you're passionate about the future of work or education or creating new lifelong learning models pam and aziz are two people that you need to connect with and make sure you check out their queued up movement. We have added it to the comments below so you can follow them and learn more. With that said, thank you so much for tuning in to this live morning episode of the Unleashing the Future of Work series, A God Live podcast. 
Oakland, where you at? Show us some love in the comments if you are in the building. But more importantly, I have an announcement. I have a special evening episode later on today. We're actually going to be talking with the CEO of Lately AI. The CEO of Lately AI. And if you don't know about Lately AI, make sure you check them out. It's essentially a marketing dashboard for teams. That's what Lately AI is. It's a marketing dashboard for teams and essentially social media on steroids. Social media on steroids. Literally social media on steroids. So, well, social media planning on steroids. So definitely check them out. Lately AI. Check out trylately.com and tune in later on this evening with my episode with the CEO. We're going to dive deep on some of the changes that we're seeing in terms of the future of work. And also, what inspired her journey to build Lately AI? You know, what really co-inspired it? And how did she find her founders? More importantly, how did she come up with the idea? How did she draw the vision? Raising capital on an idea that's future forward, such as Lately AI, is tough. And she's going to share all of the ins and outs on that. So definitely make sure you tune in at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, all right? 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Definitely, definitely tune in. With that said, you know, I'm going to let you all off by playing you all with some slow jams. Shout out to John Legend. We're totally, we're totally going to let you all off. We'll wake up early. Wake up. I'm sorry. Wake up, everybody. Wake up, everybody.
spell.